Welcome to Tech Trek. I'm one of your hosts, Jeff Kirk. I'm your other host, Jenny Kessler. Really excited today, Jenny, to kind of do what we're calling. I'm going to hand it to you for the title because you came up with it. You deserve the credit. So what oh, are we calling this one? Deep Dive Nine. Deep Dive Nine. I know we've talked a little bit um, on past episodes about, you know, the mall in space and um, its significance and talking about Deep Space Nine in that in that part, but there was a there was an event that happened just a few weeks ago in Earth time of yes. the present. <laughs> in case you're <laughs> listening to this in yonder years, <laughs> right? That um, that affects this topic quite deeply. Um, Jenny, you want to speak about that for a couple seconds? Uh, yes, on uh, December 8th in 2019, we lost uh, the actor who played Odo on Deep Space Nine, Rene Aubergin- Okay, Rene Aubergenois. Totally nailed it. No, no need to go back and check that pronunciation. No, it's perfect, and you will not know it if you're listening because I'm editing this. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Rene Aubergenois, um, and that Aubergenois means armorer for fun fact there. That's a pretty um, awesome last name, by yeah. the way. <laughs> well, um, he's a pretty awesome guy. He was a pretty awesome guy. Uh, and do you want me to go into his? Yeah, we're, gonna, right. we're just going to spend a few minutes here just to talk about him because he was not only a great character on the show. Um, I mean, literally mm-hmm. one of the most iconic characters in Star Trek, probably. Um but he's also a tremendous actor and a really interesting human. So Jenny wanted to spend a little bit. I think it's perfect chance for us to do that. So let's talk about Rene. Okay. Um, well, he was born in uh, June 1st, 1940 in New York City. Um, to uh, His father was a Cold War era correspondent and also Pulitzer Prize nominated writer. Um, so like, and his mother was a... I, I, it looked like she, she was a princess. She, his mother is a great, great granddaughter of Napoleon's little sister. Okay, hold on just a second. I, I don't want to interrupt you too many times, but okay, that's kind of like it's almost like burying the lead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, um, yes, he comes from remarkable uh, lineage. He's also yeah. got some Russian noble, nobility on his mother's side of the family. Um, but his grandmother was born in Cincinnati, just so you know, representing oh. Ohio there. Um, so after the after World War II, um, his parent his family moved to Paris. So this is when he decides as a child he wants to become an actor. Um, so he's uh, they live in Paris for a little while. They come back uh, to U.S. and they joined get this the South Mountain Road Artists Colony in Rockland County, New York. Um, and this artist ca- colony. Um, had other notable members like Burgess Meredith, John House, oh. 
uh, you know, some pretty, pretty strong actors there. Um, but he was involved in, in the theater there. Um, Not a bad then, start. No. So he asked for a little while, got tired of that, went to London. Uh, this is where he finishes high school and studies theater. Um, and then he returns to the U.S. and goes to Carnegie Tech. It's Carnegie Mellon University now. Um, graduates in 1962. So his acting rap sheet is longer than your arm. Um, he was in a several different theater companies. He founded, he helped to found the American Conservatory Theater in San Francisco, um, the Mark Tabor Forum in LA, and the Brooklyn Academy in Music in New York City. Your arm is super long. Your arm is longer than your head is large, Jeff. Thank you. That's uh, something I pride myself in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so he, um, if you look at the Wikipedia page where I, where I got a lot of his uh, background information, I mean, you just scroll and you just see uh, stage roles, TV roles, TV movies, voiceover, video games, movies. I mean, he sounds I'm like just, a fascinating person. I mean, just like without even the, bringing the character of Odo in yet, like his parents with a Pulitzer winning dad and <laughs> – nobility on his mom's side yeah going going and living abroad several times um that's just it's so cool it sounds like such a well-rounded person yeah and and you know when you see him on screen he's got this like just he has sort of an this a worldly noble like just essence you yeah know? there's a there's a presence to him that's not like other actors yeah. out there yeah, yeah he was very very special um and um so he he's he's received a couple of tony nominations um his his first film i think that you would recognize him from was he was father mulcahy and mash in the robert altman film um, oh yeah <laughs> it, it, <laughs> one second it's okay. done Okay, you can throw it in the trash can. Okay. Good job. Is it delicious? <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> I thought he was talking about the podcast. <laughs> it's done, you guys. <laughs> He's a critic, that's for sure. <laughs> yeah. Like like the popcorn I gave him the other day. Daddy, that was horrible. <laughs> Thanks, bud. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know you're, you know where you stand with Evan, right? Yep, there's no, there's no artifice there. Yeah. <laughs> All right, so, so we were talking about um, his presence, uh, yeah. Renee's sort of just this intrinsic presence that he has. Right, right. And, um, he, he he appeared in MASH, in the movie MASH. Um, and, and another movie credit that he had was Tony the Gangster in Police Academy 5, Assignment Miami Beach. What? Yeah. <laughs> So, like, he... Buddy, hold on. Okay, you can watch Peppa Pig. It's fine. <laughs> so, what, what I was trying to say by saying that you can see him in films such as MASH, as well as Police Academy 5, Assignment Miami Beach, uh, this, he was a working actor, right? <laughs> yeah. He, he ran the gabbit, gamut of... Uh, roles and you know that's just if you're an actor and you love to act you're going to take roles and you know yeah that's kind of where i was where my brain was was kind of reaching to is it seems like he just loved acting as yeah. his job and 
like just took on roll after roll after roll after roll. I mean, it just seems like there was no he, he didn't have this ego about well, I can only play if I played Father Mulcahy, then I can only play these roles. Yeah. You know, like it, it didn't seem to matter at all. No. No, and um, he, he was on a lot of TV shows. Like, uh, he was in Benson. He was the that sort of highfalutin right. lawyer guy. That's right. He was Benson. That's yes. Right. That's the first place I, I remember seeing. Yeah. Um, he, of course, he was a beloved on D- Deep Space Nine, and he played on Boston Legal as well. And then many, yeah, Boston many, Legal many. also had, had another Star Trek presence on it. Oh, yes. Our the friend Chat. William Shatner. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. So, and he also did guest stars on anything from Murder She Wrote to It's Always Sunny in Philadelphia. Um, he was, he, I think he guest starred on Family. That range is. Yeah. It's it's all over the map. And um, he also worked with Seth, Seth MacFarlane on, I think, Family Guy. Um, and, you know, he, I read a, a an interview with him where he talked about like it was really fun working with him because Seth MacFarlane's a big Star Trek fan as well, um, so he he enjoyed making those kind of connections. That's interesting. Yeah. It's interesting to hear that too, just from you know, like Seth MacFarlane is always associated with sort of that deep that deep parody, um, and the and the sort of social commentary type of comedy. Mm-hmm. But to know that he kind of geeks out on Star Trek, and it, it makes sense with his with his show um, that he has out as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Which, which is great. I've 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 watched it to kind of get a feel for it, and I do like it a lot. That's cool. Um, I he he also did a lot of voiceovers for video games. Mm. Um, and I just wanted to read this little um, section here. This is from the uh, Wikipedia as well. It says. One of Abergenois' earliest forays into video game voice acting was the role of Janice Arden in Soul Reaver 2. He, con- <laughs> <laughs> he continued to voice the character in subsequent releases in the Legacy of Kane series. According to a behind-the-scenes featurette in Soul Reaver 2, showing candid discussions among the voice actors during recording, he was surprised at the quality of the writing, asking, this is for a video game? <laughs> when the purpose of the recording was brought to light. Um, so, you know, yes, he was working all the time and, That's um, fascinating. he's also done many book narrations as well, Ooh. Um, which if you check out the, uh, the Wikipedia article on him, there's, there's 20 odd books. Uh, I'll do may- that. Cause it'd be interesting to hear him narrate a book. Yeah. He's got the voice, you know, it's, it, yeah. it's. It's lyrical and it is lyrical and it's 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 got a good quality for uh, for storytelling. I, I would imagine it's 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 really nice. Yes, and if you're um, interested in kind of getting into him as a person, he has his own website, uh, ReneFiles.com, uh, that has links to biographies, um, interviews, and things like that. Uh, and he's also um, done a lot of charity work uh if if you have you ever gotten his autograph or seen him at a con or anything like that i've never gone to any star trek conventions i've been to a con but deep space nine was being filmed during the con that i was at the yeah. only one i ever went to because unfortunately um it just finances don't allow for me to get there a lot but yeah same i uh, get it yeah so the only one i ever went to 
was back when I lived in Texas, and um, the stars that they had for that one were Marina Sirtis mm-hmm. um, and Michael Dorn. But they didn't have oh. anyone from Deep Space Nine because it was being actively filmed during that point. So. Michael Dorn was on Deep Space Nine. Oh, come on. He was. He was. We haven't <laughs> gotten there yet. Either yet. My yeah. watching, but yeah. <laughs> well, um, when he when Rene signed autographs, he would draw a picture of Odo's bucket. Oh, really? And like he would, you know, this is a little like a cartoon drawing of a bucket, and it said Odo's bucket on it, and then he'd sign his name under it. At the top, he'd be like to Jeff, you know. Uh, And so after a while, he started to use those drawings to raise money for Doctors Without Borders, uh, Amnesty International, and Hyper International. Um, So if you go to Renee Files and look at the charity fundraising section, there's a link to a video that he put together um, of all the fans' pictures with their drawing, the ones that paid like five bucks and donated to the charity to get this drawing. Mm -hmm. Um, So he really uh, tried to employ his notoriety to towards making the world a better place that's so cool man wow i mean and if that's not enough like he's this warm genuine person and um you know he was married to his wife for 56 years um it's pretty unheard of in in the in the industry as they say (laughs) right right so he's got two kids and some some grandkids who you know he said they call him grumps (laughs) (laughs) and um you know of course they loved him but once they found out he did the voice of the chef in the little mermaid who was a le poisson he sings that song (laughs) song. um you know that of course he just went up in esteem absolutely yeah how could you not i mean man especially (laughs) especially (laughs) thinking about how angry that chef got (laughs) yeah yeah so, you know, and he talks about recording that and just going off and doing other things. And then when the movie finally comes out and it, and it you know, generally, it, it genuinely revitalizes animation for Disney Studios. And, yeah. you know, he just to be a part of a classic Disney animation was a, a, a piece of a real pride for him in his career. That's so, awesome. Yeah. And, uh, and I have a, another little bit uh, of from an interview that where – he they asked him when was the last time he watched an episode of Deep Space Nine, um, and of course he says he doesn't watch television. He's got he's got to have something to make him, you know. Uh, that's sort of a hipster thing. Oh, I don't I don't watch TV. Yeah. Uh, if it's not the scarf wearing, then it's it's the not TV not watching TV. So. Right. Right. <laughs> yeah, but but he says it. Um, he doesn't. He doesn't like watching himself. Um, he's like the joy for me is not sitting down and watching me do it. I'm so critical of myself. I'd sit and watch myself in a scene, maybe one in which I just I'm just in the background and think, "What are you doing back there, Renee? Why are you doing that? <laughs> Why did you just stand still? Shut up! What's the matter with you?" It's not that I've avoided Deep Space Nine. I've passed it when flipping through the channels to get to the Daily Show with John Stewart, which is my only television habit. <laughs> How that, hilarious is that? <laughs> yeah. When that happens, I'll stop and pause for a moment, whether or not I'm in the scene, to watch it for a little bit and get a sense of how it's aging. With that said, and having undermined my own argument, I suppose what I've seen has aged very well like a fine wine. I always thought that would happen. So he he talks about it, you know, some shows having certain creakiness over time, and Deep Space Nine suffers very little of that since it's set in the future. 
Uh, they don't have to worry about hairstyles and clothes. And there's something about the darkness of the show, the sort of neurotic nature of the characters, the complexity of the characters that has made it sort of like a Russian novel that you can keep returning to and stays fresh. Mm. And it's something you want to keep part- partaking of to mix metaphors. So That's interesting because like another podcast that I, that I listen to quite a bit is Mission Log. Mm-hmm. And they've been talking, uh, they've been ha- they were having a hard time with their format talking about Deep Space Nine, of their questions of like, is there messages, morals, meanings? Um, but the one thing they haven't had a hard time with is, does it hold up? And every episode holds up. Yeah. The production value is there. The characters are well written. You know, there's a there's actual story arcs. That makes sense. That are called back on, you know, that kind of stuff. Right, so, and and to hear fact, him speak about it, his perspective is is fantastic. Yeah, and and the other thing about Deep Space Nine, it's different from the other um, shows, is that it it really does take on um, spirituality and religion, as well as some really tough social issues. There's a uh, past tense, uh, the episode where they go back to a post-tech world in San Francisco where the, the homeless issues are so bad. And, um, you know, just it was really a, kind of a, a place to point to uh, where the social justice really rises up in the Star Trek world. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so anyway, I that's a little bit of a digression. I, I The more you and I do this show together, Jeff, the more I realize like do, how good Deep Space Nine is and um, I've I've sort of been the de facto defender here because I like to take on the you know the underdog for the most you know <laughs> lift them up. Uh, but it's really like I think you know the the farther we get away from it, the more like respect it, it ought to find really what it took on. No, I, I I'm not I'm not against it as I was maybe at the beginning of our talking about it, but. I'm still, it's still something I have to grow on, and maybe that's how my metaphor ties into a fine wine. Is that I have to, I have to kind of drink it slow. Yeah, yeah, it's a lot. <laughs> um, yeah. But just to sort of wind up the the talk about Rene here, um, he was in uh, November 2018 was uh, inducted into the Theater Hall of Fame. Mm. And um, he was, uh, Frank Langella introduced him, or, you know, was, uh, what do you call it? Yeah, introduced them. Uh, yeah, year. introduced them. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, Langella quoted Robert Edmund Jones's invocation of actors who have in them kind of wildness and exuberation and for whom to spend a life practicing and performing this art of speaking with tongues other than one's own is to live greatly as one can. Langella cited just a few of the tongues with which Renee has spoken over the last 50 years, William Shakespeare, Ben Johnson, Anton Chekhov, Bernard Shaw, Samuel Beckett, Bertolt Brecht, Jean Enouy, Moliere, Harold Pinter. Just, that's just a few. Uh, My goodness. Right. And to my great regret, Langella continued, Renee and I have not shared much time on the stage together, which I think is the secret of our long friendship, to which my friend from the audience has always been a distinct pleasure. To watch my friend from the audience has always been a distinct pleasure. The last time I saw the miracle of Renee on stage was in Larry Gelbert's Sly Fox. 
He was driving the audience apoplectic with laughter, playing a dirty old man, prancing and prowling and stuttering with lust. The shaking, the spitting, the moaning, the tongue-darting excess was just dazzling. Thus introduced, Abergenois responded, maybe you could save that for my eulogy. <laughs> so, <laughs> so um, he, he was uh, just, the people he worked with loved him, and, um, you know, he was joyous on stage, and he was all about being in that moment, and not necessarily about mooning over what he'd already done, you know, it was always what's next, what's next, and how can I help? Um, and there's even, he goes, there was another article that I read that I can't seem to find at the moment, but he talks about his relationships on Deep Space Nine, uh, both with, uh, Kira, what's her name? Um, uh, uh, oh, shoot. I don't know her, I don't know her, Nana Visitor. Nana Visitor, right, but I can't think of her character, Major Kira. Kira Neras. Neras. And um and yeah. his relationship with Quark, um, oh. <laughs> where where they talked about how like, you know, he and Quark didn't have, um, they were kind of like frenemies, right? And if yeah. you look at yeah. the the literal quantity of time they spent together, they rarely had more than two or three lines in an episode. But you no, could, but it they, was like, they, go ahead, sorry. Go oh, ahead. it was, but it was a touch point that spoke to other things that the. That, that the audience grasped onto and understood like the context of their relationship and really like loved it quite a yeah, bit. Yeah. And I was, I was going to add that it, it need, it kind of provided that it was, I like the word touch point that you used. And I also like, um, it kind of provided a grounding spot. Yeah. Like you always knew, even if they're only have like two lines, right. Mm-hmm. But you always knew that if those two were there, balance was there as well. Like there was going to be balance to what whatever was in the story because you had sort of the the you know shady mm-hmm. <laughs> quirk with interesting moral fabric and then you had Odo who was also shady in a lot of ways with right. an interesting fabric where they landed most of the time you know bad and good but <laughs> sometimes they had different ways of approaching the bad versus good but you always had that balance if they were there right yeah. and they and they were always. Uh, when all was said and done, they were, they had a really deep friendship and would, would go to the ends of the earth for each other and that. Yeah. Uh, and, and then that, they talked about some of how his acting had influenced the direction of the relationship with Kira, with Major Kira, uh, because early on in this series, he finds out she did something as part of the resistance that was a great betrayal to him. And, yeah. and there's a scene where he, they're, you know, he's staring intently at her. And they said and when they looked at the dailies, they're like, oh, my God, Odo's in love with Kira. Um, and so that like it was just the way he was emoting at, at that point and it, and it influenced the direction of the storyline. So that's how powerful his emotions and acting and then control of, you know, how human he was on camera. Yeah. And that's, and I mean, and that's, I mean, a little, you know, if we're talking about this, a little bit racist since he was not human. Uh, but the, whatever it is that makes people who they are, like who we want to be, um, open, honest, experiencing love, and also being able to feel things and honor mm. those feelings, 
Um, and he was just an expert, no matter what yeah. it was. Yeah, and it, I think you, you got on yourself about being racist. I don't know if it was, I mean, it was more like, I guess, speciesist. But, yeah. <laughs> but but it, but it, your point, to that I think is is more interesting than that word speciesist is, you know, it, it brought out that the emotions that that you that a person feels um, can be translated into different contexts. They don't. It's not just, you know, if it's a you know, if you're sad, it's because you're a sad person. Right. Uh, and that it's okay for those different things to be manifested in other people. Right. Which I thought was really interesting. So. Yeah. And he, he, uh, while he tried to keep it together as Odo, I'm thinking of the character of Odo, you could always, yeah. always see that he was feeling pain or he was mm. feeling joy or hope um, or suspicion and um, I think what it it helps us remember is that you can do the right thing and be who you are while going through pain or going through joy or going through suspicious moments. Like um, yep. that's that's not a flaw that you're hurt. It's that's you being hurt. It happens. That's life, yep. and um, that it doesn't have to change you, but you do have to feel it. I mean, that's. Um, is sort of evident in all the characters that he plays, especially Odo. <laughs> <laughs> well, I think what we should do mm-hmm. in the honor here, mm-hmm. in a good tr- Klingon tradition, is toast one to Odo and Renee. Renee. Clink. Clink. <laughs> a fond so, farewell. Fond farewell. So now, Jenny... With you being, I'm going to call you our Deep Space Nine apologist for the moment. Okay. <laughs> That's a fair cop. And I'm, and I'm more of the Deep Space Nine investigator. Okay. If you're the apologist, I'm the investigator. So I have some questions slash thoughts about tech on Deep okay. Space Nine. Mm-hmm. Okay. How is it that the Dominion can transport someone to another quadrant in the galaxy. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> we talked about transporter technology earlier. Oh, wait. Okay, so I'm sure they're manipulating subspace in some way. I think it might be a subspace mine. What do you think? Mind or mine, M-I-N-E? M-I-N-E. It could be a mind, I guess. But Yeah. <laughs> Right. Well, here's the thing. Um, the Dominion come in late in the run of Deep Space Nine, and I have spent most of my time at the front end because I keep restarting it to, like, remember where I was. Um, so I'm, I'm, like, super, super aware of the foundation elements of Deep Space Nine. And the Dominion okay. stuff's a little foggier. Well, I can get that. Well, here's a different one. Okay. Riddle me this. Eat at quarks. Why? Mm-hmm. Why eat at quarks? If everything, if every other room or office or storage depot has a replicator, why well, eat at quarks? 
Well, you're going to want to eat at Quark's, mainly drink at Quark's, uh, because it's fun, Jeff. Uh, they have gambling tables and Dabo girls. Uh, Dabo, and- that's right, which basically you just play by saying Dabo. Yes. And you win. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a wheel you spin and other things like that. But um, there's a lively atmosphere. There is real alcohol. Uh, <laughs> there are hollow suites uh, where you can go and play baseball or go to a, a lounge and listen to a lounge singer. Or whatever you want. And there's several programs that you can look at. Work out, if you are a Klingon. Um, so it's not only it's, it's the mood of the place is jovial. It's also a little bit like uh, that kind of Casablanca feel where you could meet up with, uh, you know, a member of the Revol- uh, resistance and make plans on something. You could commit, you could plan crimes, uh, you know, meet <laughs> for a date there. Have a drink, a real drink, uh, because it's not just sent the hall there. This is not a Starfleet space. It's not a Starfleet space station. No. I mean, there's presence there, but they don't make the rules. Like, they, you went on a starship, you would not have booze unless maybe you were the captain, had it stashed away. Um, so there's a there's a lot of appeal, I think. So to, to there's, a, there's like a social thing. Yeah. But was, doesn't he charge his customers? Mm-hmm. Couldn't you just get free food in your room and well, then go yeah. down to courts afterwards and hang out? Yeah. Yes, surely. <laughs> uh, you know, hey, I, okay. it depends on your mood. Like, when okay. I'm on the road, sometimes I'm like, just dial me up some of that room service because I don't ever want to be around anybody. But then there's like, hey, I'm in Seattle. I want to see some shit. All right. So. All right. Okay. So <clears throat> here's another one for you. Mm-hmm. I saw it more on Deep Space Nine and Next Gen than on anything else. Right. View screen, right? And, and you know, the view screen. Mm-hmm. Why do they always add maximum magnification when they're talking about something? Screen on. Maximum magnification. Because they are disturbed and want to get right on in on whatever that thing is. Right? Aren't you like, oh, I got to zoom in on that picture. I gotta but, find out what's going on. But there's no factors. Like we talked about phasers, we had, they had different phaser factors. It was just uh-huh. maximum magnification. I don't have a button that I can hit that says max zoom. <laughs> no, but you could, you could like, you. There is a limit to what you can zoom on <laughs> right now, and you know maybe the user experience um, on a view screen is such that. Uh, they've studied what people want when they say maximum view. And so that's what you get. Or would you my, said, would you my could, maximum be different than your maximum? Uh, probably, I don't know. <laughs> I'm thinking they came up with something that was good enough for 80% of users. <laughs> Does it have like the little smiley face that you can rate it on the side? As, yeah. You know, so- yeah. Oh yeah, this is good. Thanks. Or like yeah. thumbs up, thumbs down. Right. And once you hit that, they're like, "Do you want to tell us anything else?" So yeah. you can add a little narrative commentary, so they can make it better for you. Since you brought up user experience, we thought we'd. Yeah. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'd like to see the story cards for that one. You know. Yeah. As as a tactical ops commander, <laughs> I need to be able to see things at their maximum magnification, regardless of distance. 
so in the acceptance criteria, it would say what maximum means. Yes, exactly. But, yeah. So is it as close as we can get with the technology we have? Maybe, maybe not. Maybe that's too close. Maybe that's too close know. for you. I don't know. <laughs> maybe it's too close for most people. Maybe, maybe you just want to get so close, and that's what we call maximum magnification. So, uh, but that's a pretty. <laughs> that's kind of a sophisticated approach to design, which I don't think necessarily was at play at Deep Space Nine, because you know this station was built by Cardassians. No, no, sorry. The construction was overseen by Cardassians. It was built by Bajoran slave labor. So I'm not sure how like how much of like the Sprint Zero they were doing, where you know a lot of design work, or if they were just installing stuff that they happened to get from other dealers. Okay. So I mean, it wasn't necessarily built with care and love. Care maybe, love no. I would say love, no. Yeah. Care, care possibly. Right. Yeah. So it was, it's, they built it, the Cardassians were occupying Bajor and they built the space station. It was part of like a military headquarters to oversee that occupation as well as uh, uh, the original purpose was to refine uridium from yep. Bajor, which is like, why do you occupy a nation? Well, because they have, they have some, stuff, they have material goods that, um, or resources that will make us money so that we can continue to occupy them or, or and other people. Um, so yes, the v, the view screen maximum magnification, uh, but also they could store a process up to 20,000 tons of ore a day on that space station. That's, Yikes. That's like a lot of pounds. Yeah. And or, man, uh, metric tons, I would guess. Um, yeah, I go metric tons, I think. Yeah. So they had uh, ore refining and transport facilities on this space station, large docking pylon structures so that they get that ore in, off the station. And, uh, and, and, the, and the station itself can house 7,000 humanoid-sized people. So all, all of those points make me ask the next question that I have. Okay. Why did a station like Deep Space Nine not have security cameras? Oh, it did. It did. Oh yeah. Okay. I never and, like I never saw it being used, but because I, I haven't watched deeply into the into the run of it yet. Well, uh, this is kind of a, one of the key like things that happened early on was like Cardassians are no longer able to like occupy Bajor because of the uprising, and they mm-hmm. you know. And it just became, you know, greater, probably, expense to stay there. Um, and before they left, they, of course, they sabotaged practically everything. But uh, they they continued to monitor activity on the station through the security camera networks. Oh. So this is why they return once the wormhole is found. Because what's his name, Gallic? Yes. Is it Gallic? No, Goldicott. Golducott. Yeah. He can't. That's why he's like, oh shit, they got the wormhole. I want them back because that, like, exponentially. I need that. Yeah. Um. Oops. Uh. Yeah. I'm gonna have to come take that back. Uh. Because I left something. I left something on the station. No idea. 
Um, so now it's exponentially more valuable than it was when I lost it. So uh, can we have take backsies here? Because that's Is there a warranty period. Yeah. Um... Like, you know, yeah, buyer's remorse, <laughs> seller's remorse. Seller's remorse. I shouldn't. You know, I really love this station. I should yeah. have. I, I should have shown it more care. Yeah. I made me love <laughs> while I was here. Right. <laughs> I could see so, Gold Ducat having that moral crisis in his quarters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Damn it. Man. Oh, we're I, full. Ooh, I'm yeah. going to get in deep trouble with the Obsidian Order if yes. they find out. <laughs> I thought I was saving a lot of money, but whoops, I could have made a shit ton more. Maybe I could uh, just get a big, like, black patch and put it over <laughs> wherever that wormhole appears on screens. Yeah. Uh, uh, let me call the screen designer. Yeah, who's my Thanks. Wesley? <laughs> <laughs> There's, there can be only one Wesley. It's true. He'd probably help, he'd probably help the Cardassians anyway. Yeah. <laughs> oh, but at, at any rate, yes, there were security cameras. Every, I mean, Odo was thoroughly had eyes on the scene. Okay. Everywhere. It like, didn't seem like it, at, maybe at first. It didn't yeah. seem like you were using cameras. I'm like, huh? Well, How is a station like this, like with ore purposes and the military background, like and 7,000 people, yeah. how does it not have security cameras? That just doesn't make any sense. Well, if you can recall um, Odo's office, like the security office, um, there were banks of monitors oh, okay. like behind the desk and in front of the desk. So, I mean, they they had eyes on on stuff, for sure. And of course, he was uh could be a he could turn into a camera if he wanted to. Um, our our uh, what do they call him? Constable, security constable. Our constable. Okay. Here's one. Okay. I'm satisfied on the security cameras. Good. Here's another one. Why do people say their passwords out loud? Um, because it's more interesting than watching them type something. <laughs> it's funny, the entry, it I might... found, the, the entry I found does talk about computer security running on the rule of drama. Yeah. <laughs> What's the most interesting thing to watch? Tappity, tappity, tap. Tappity, tap, uh, tap, tap. With my shoulder like this so you can't see. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or... <laughs> yeah, or password 37422. Command access override. Yeah, I think um, I think what I saw is that they talked about originally it was supposed to use like biometric patterns. Yeah. But like, come on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I don't know. Like, uh, there are a lot of times throughout Star Trek where they're just giving command overrides and they have to speak the command and all the time. <laughs> and I, I think part of it might be like voice recognition piece of it, like your voice print. Kind of double validates your clearance. Clarence? Clarence, Clarence. <laughs> <laughs> so one of the things that we didn't talk about in our phasers episode mm-hmm. that came up is a really cool part of, of Deep Space Nine or Deep Dive Nine Trek mm-hmm. was the disruptors that were used by a couple of different species that could make a wound keep bleeding without stopping. It was an anti, 
anticoagulant, basically. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that's awful. Yeah. It's in Deep Space Nine. Um, it talks yeah. about the, the the main person they talk about using it is the, the Gem Hadar. Oh, yeah, those bastards. Those guys were... The worst. <laughs> yeah. Come on. <laughs> yeah. I remember um, nothing specific about the Gem Hadar other than they are the worst. They are the worst. Like, basically the worst in Trek. Yeah. Yeah. What do they do again? They worked for the Dominion. Okay. Oh, yeah, there was that cute cute boy that worked yeah. with the Dominion people, and he was Gem Hadar, wasn't he? Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, they were basically like the Dominion's security force. Yeah. Yeah, super great guys. <laughs> <laughs> Real warm and fuzzy folks. Right, and I do feel, I feel like uh, that... Uh, was it Garrick the tailor? Is that the Cardassian tailor? Garrick. Just simple he, Garrick. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he is he is one of my favorite characters on that. Um, but the, the, he had to intervene with the Jem'Hadar at one point and had to save Odo. Yeah. Um, so it's like <laughs> when you prefer Cardassian company over the Jem'Hadar, you know they're bad. Yeah. So... Man, it's harsh. Yeah. <laughs> well, those were some of my deep dive nine right. tech well, questions. Well, um, just to speak of the space station and phasers, since you mentioned them, um, just to sort of catalog what we're dealing with here on this military and refining outpost as it started out. They have 48 phaser arrays. They're rotary yeah. mounted. Yeah, that's kind of... That's pretty awesome yeah yes that's and, a lot of firepower <laughs> right and b- along with the phaser arrays they have 36 phaser emitters that are mm-hmm. stationary and um phaser arrays we thought, i think we talked about this last time we yeah. talked about phasers, but come on how how awesome is that combination of words phaser array yeah it's, it's just outstanding it's just straight amazing. fear yeah fear and awe too even if you have one phaser array it's still right. pretty amazing <laughs> Then they have uh, three phaser emitters that are sliding mounts. Um, 48 plus torpedo launchers and 5,000 plus photon torpedoes after they did a refit. So were they worried about pirates? They were armed for, loaded for bear, as you would say. As you might say. <laughs> as you might say if you were hunting bears. In the, yeah, space bears. Space uh, bears. Gotta yeah, watch out and, for those guys. <laughs> right. So they had a huge offense on here, and then they also had deflector shields on this space. So and they, and they could move the station. And they could move the station as well. You yeah. could also um, dock. Of course, it's a, because it's you know originally refinery ore was coming, it was leaving, and and ships were docking coming. to take the ships ore. Were, and, yeah. yeah. So there's six large docking pylon ports, three medium docking rings, and nine small docking rings. So six landing pads. So this was a your this was we had referenced Atlanta Airport. I mean, you know, <laughs> you can kind of see uh, how like sprawling this thing was. Uh, yeah, you just don't want to miss that train, you know, that right. takes you between one terminal to the other. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and um, the other thing is they they uh, they were they used the heck out of runabouts. Yeah, they uh, did. They they had a lot of the Danube class runabouts as well as two Defiant class starships. 
So those are just uh, on on deck tech, like the you know rides that they could that could go about. Yeah, and those were interesting. the The runabouts were an interesting, I think, special, unique part of Deep Space Nine, because I mean, the original series and Next Gen, we talked about their shuttles a lot, mm. and then there was the you know mentioned but hardly ever seen Captain's yacht. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. But it does show up in the blueprints because I do have that. Well, of course you do. <laughs> yes. Um, but the runabouts, you saw doing all kinds of stuff. Yeah. I mean, they, oh, they, were, were, they, were, they were they were work capable. They had weapons. They had systems involved. Right. They were pretty awesome. They used them to defend the station and also yeah. like zip out to the Gamma Quadrant and back. Um, yeah, yeah, they're constantly on runabouts. And, um, yeah, those are pretty awesome vehicles. Yeah. Do you happen to know the form the the Cardassian name for Deep Space Nine? Trivia question. You do? Did I, I say do. it already? Tarek Nor. Tarek no, Nor. But I did. Yeah, all right. Good job. Do you know <laughs> Oh thank you. <laughs> You're doing great. <laughs> I I it's not that I don't uh, you know, don't like Deep Space Nine. <laughs> I know. You're coming around. I, I just got much time. I just got much more into Voyager than Deep Space Nine. Sure. I'll just, I'll just kind of come out and say it. Right. Well, Voyager was way more adventure-oriented. Um, and I feel like Deep Space Nine was like overcoming obstacles kind of thing. It was like problem after problem, um, you know. And then there's politics layered on top of religion. Um, as also, well as like I mean, the, Voyager, Voyager had... Um, the, I mean, absolutely amazing Captain Janeway. Uh-huh. So. And, and the stunning Seven of Nine. That's for sure. Yeah. She's back, <laughs> you know, in Picard. I know, and I'm really looking forward to seeing it. Same. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm very much ready for it to come out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a couple weeks, so. I know. So, I think it's a good time for a break. Yeah. Have fortune cookie. What do you think? That sounds good. So, bring us a fortune cookie, Web- Webster, Wesley. Web- What's Webster. Your name here? <laughs> hey, Webster. You want to get us one of those fortune cookies? I've told you a million times my name is Wesley. Shut up, Wesley. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, well, I've got mine. Okay, I got mine. You go first. If you can't break a contract, bend it. Yes. I, I like that, especially as we're talking about Deep Space Nine and the Cardassians, even. I think mm-hmm. <laughs> they might be interested in that one. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. How can we. Can we hold on to this thing a little bit more? (laughs) (laughs) You can't break a contract, bend it. If you can't break a contract, bend it. I mean, I don't know something more Ferengi than that. Right, right. And, you know, okay, forgive me. I I am about to, I'm having some real, like, crises of, in my mind about the state of the world today. Um, And this idea that, let's say you're a president 
and you get a peach and you're just like, no, I'm not going to play that game. <laughs> and then the people in the game are like, but you have to. You have to. You took an oath. And I'm like, so? Like, I'm still going to be president, okay? And um, you you can just forget about, like, go through the motions. It's fine. But I'm not putting my token on go. <laughs> I, I'm not. Like, I'm taking my little top hat and I'm out. And and it's like okay, like you have these these about you know a contract is a thing that people go into with the agreement that they were gonna you know comply with it, <clears throat> and then maybe you just don't on some of those things and and people say oh you broke the rule it's like oh well okay and you know it's like. For for a contract to be a longstanding traditional thing that people honor um, as the way you do business, and then for one of the parties to just sort of be like, eh, you know, I feel like you could, eh. you know, like yeah, okay, I I got what I needed, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna do what you asked me to do. Like I think that would probably maybe uh, hinder your chances of ever getting another contract down the road. Uh, <laughs> But, like, there's plenty of other fish in the sea, you know, I guess. Like, do you ever run out of fish? I mean, you will run will out you? of fish. Yeah. I don't know. I'm I'm starting to wonder uh, that in, um, you know, if, you, if you're really pressing against the traditional boundaries of things, including contracts, like, maybe they don't hold up quite as strongly as you thought they would. I'll do um, some thinking on that. And I think if you're a Ferengi and you go into a contract with somebody who is maybe a little more um, buttoned up, you know, that wouldn't expect you to not play the game according to the rules, then you certainly could. No, I will think about contract. There was one episode that I have seen with Quark mm-hmm. um, when a, a Klingon dies in his bar and he has to, like... He takes on the the role of having killed the Klingon, mm-hmm. because that's what the Klingon brother thought is what happened. Yeah. And then he, he has to marry the other guy's wife. Uh-huh. And then he has to divorce her at the end of the episode. Like <laughs> <laughs> he's bending that contract all over the place. <laughs> right. Right. So what? I think it's you know it's interesting wisdom, not necessarily on the up and up, but like if you find yourself in a situation. <laughs> <laughs> that has rules that where you're gonna lose, no matter what. That you know, maybe you find where you can find the weak spots and okay. them. Everything's right. negotiable, Jeff. Everything's negotiable. Everything has a price. Yeah. <laughs> what's what's your cookie say? It says, "Hear all, trust nothing." <laughs> I like that one. Yeah, this is a good. This is a good message for myself in particular. Yeah. Here all trust nothing. And I would if I was writing this one, I would also say and verify. Yeah. Yeah. Trust <laughs> but verify. Yep. Um well that one goes a little I mean, this is like trust nothing, don't even verify. Trust nothing. It. Trust nothing. Yeah. Verify that you can't trust it. Right. <laughs> what I what I like about it is like, you know, I I'm such a person that, like, I generally believe people when they are talking to me. And, uh, I do too. 
<laughs> yeah. Wait, don't tell everybody that's listening. Those seven people are going to come after us. But, uh, I mean, yeah. I don't at all. Jenny's the only one that does. Oh, I don't trust. No, it's fine. <laughs> well, like, you start, I start off with, I trust you. And uh, it has to take something that happened for that to be, um, even knocked down a little bit and, you know, chance after chance. So I'm, I'm learning as I get older to be a little bit more like, let's start at not trusting you. <laughs> let's start at meh. Let's start yeah, at meh. Yeah. Like, and not that not I'm saying that everybody has to earn their trust with me or anything like that, but I do need to uh, provide discernment to myself. <laughs> and it's funny, just to kind of, uh, there's another podcast I started listening to recently called my favorite murder. Um, and it's a true co- true crime comedy podcast. So they, they talk about true crime and the, you know, part of their coping is to laugh about not the, not the murders themselves, but like some of the circumstances and things around it. Um, but you know, there's two ladies and they're like, you know, women are brought up to be nice and to, uh, you know, help and be, you know, trusting of others. And, and that's how a lot of times they get lured into uh, getting abducted or, um, you know, murdered or what have you. Um, and, and a lot of their messages is you don't have to, don't be polite, you know, and, and mm-hmm. don't just be nice to strangers. Like you have to be aware of the fact that, that especially criminal types will use that against you. So um, it's, it's very, been very helpful and kind of empowering to like, kind of like yes, recognize uh, that you know women are prey a lot of times, and that um, the the traditional nature of women is used against them in those situations. Um, so yeah, here here I'll trust nothing. I think it's important, you know, you listen and uh, and speak for yourself. <laughs> yes, sweetheart. It's been an hour. It's been one hour since you guys were given the task of building buildings. How's it coming? We're all done. Every single one of us are done. Okay. I think <laughs> we're almost done with our show. And then we're going to look at your buildings and we're going to eat lunch. Okay? You're probably going to laugh. I Bye. will laugh. Because <laughs> I, love, I love our Lego buildings. They're amazing. Okay? So be prepared. You might want to get something to cover it up so it's like a big surprise, like a reveal. Okay? <laughs> Excellent. Saturday is usually Lego time. Yeah. So. Okay. <laughs> Thank you for taking time out of Lego time. Ah, absolutely. Absolutely. We we did Lego time before the call, too. So. Good. <laughs> All right. So, trust nothing. Hear all, trust nothing. Yeah. Okay. I think I well, think I think maybe you can eventually trust. I mean, it sounds like Odo. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> yeah, cuz he was everywhere on that scene. He was. Then. He was everywhere and you didn't know if that cup over there was Odo or right. if he was standing next to you. <laughs> yeah. And he also had a lot of trouble trusting. So he, he did. had a lot of Maybe he had some more things in common with Freggy than he'd like to admit. I think there was a lot more similarity between the two, between Odo and Quark, than people would draw comparisons to during the show itself. So. Yeah. yeah. 
So where Thank are we at with where forever. are we at with Deep Space Nine? Deep Space Nine tech. Deep Space there's Nine the, tech. There's the Jem'Hadar anti-coagulant phaser disruptor. Yep. There's the beam me to another galaxy or quadrant mm-hmm. of the galaxy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's the massive firepower of the Deep Space Nine station right. itself. Yeah. The uh, the vast amount of um, docking space living (laughs) arrangements it really could handle a lot of ships and i didn't ever see that many ships there (laughs) no no in fact they i mean lots of runabouts coming and going and and they did have people coming with large like you know quantities of stuff that you know pork would often be like maybe rooting through yeah to fall off the back of the truck (laughs) right exactly (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) So, I mean, for for a slave-built military outpost to become, you know, transform into um, less of a manufacturing um, hub into more of a, a international space station for travel and tourism. And, and, you know, the Federation helped build that up by um, convincing the merchants to stick around. Because, like, the Cardassians had killed off a bunch of them. You know, they had, yeah. they were scared. Yeah. And so they... You know, by rooting the the shopping opportunities and quarks and entertainment and stuff um, to make it a destination instead of just a place to cool your heels for a second while you, yeah. you filled up on uridium more. You know, find a bathroom real quick. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it it was talk about like reinventing yourself. This the yeah, space yeah. station uh, really became you know transcended its original purpose. All right, so I think I'm on board then. I think I can say 1 to 10. I got a rating on Deep Space Nine Tech. Yeah? Yeah. It's higher than I originally had rated it during Mall Rats. Yeah. Um, because there's some really cool stuff there. I mean, even even like Dr. Bashir's doctor's office, his infirmary, has got yeah. some pretty, pretty awesome stuff. I mean, he grew a galaxy in right. his infirmary at one point <laughs> yeah oh and not to mention the temple that had those stones yeah um, that's right like i i don't know if you could call those technology but they certainly had like um you know manipulative abilities and yeah yeah i would call them technology there were yeah. technology maybe of a of a purpose Celestial. and yeah a purpose that wasn't intended for you know terrans to use but <laughs> right. yeah right so, um, so yeah, I think, I'm, a, I think I'm good with a. My rating is going up to an eight. All right. Well, I'm still at ten. I know you are, but I've come <laughs> up. I've come up. Yeah, and I think you know the variety of of what you can do at that place, and the 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 fact that it started out as a refinery and ended up as a tourist. Yeah. You know, spot that they could um, they could repurpose so yeah. much to become such something so much more valuable to people. Cause I can't think of any like oil refineries on earth that are a tourist destination. Right. right. Now. <laughs> well, you know, they, they made to have like, like it's gone out of business and they've turned it into like a quirky old m- mall or something with a, uh, you know, but the, those are, they do that more with like mills, I think. Yeah. And factories. Kind factories. Of thing. But yeah, I mean, it's a huge a- achievement. Um, and to have done that through so much like political pressure and um, 
you know, undermining. There's a lot of scrutiny going on. A yeah. lot of scrutiny. A lot of scheming. Yeah. Um, it, it's a, it was a gem of, you know, of a spot to be. Um, you know, not only because it, you had this this wormhole to get you to another quadrant, but it also had religious implications for the Bajorans. And yeah. um, so you add religion into the mix and boy, howdy. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> the odds just increased. The the, the the facets of the argument go <laughs> Yeah, it goes start growing yeah. quite a bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It gets ludicrous speed pretty quick. It does go to ludicrous speed, <laughs> almost to plaid. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so So I'm at an eight, you're at a ten. Yeah. I think that's pretty good. With it just with us just having come out of the holiday season again in real time here. Mm-hmm. Grandpa Klingon uh, was in a you know rare mood and shared with me a Klingon carol. Oh my gosh! For, for our word of wisdom for today. Are you ready? Uh, no, I don't think so. <laughs> okay, now I'm ready. Okay, good. I'm glad. Yeah. So imagine Grandpa Klingon sitting on the porch. Mm-hmm. The Klingon equivalent of a cigar. <laughs> it's probably like a baseball bat <laughs> with burning on one end. <laughs> yes. Yet if yet if my line should die, it dies with its teeth in the enemy's throat. It dies with its name on the enemy's tongue. For just as mere life is not victory, mere death is not defeat. And in the next world, I shall kill the foe a thousand times, laughing, undefeated. The Hell end. yes. <laughs> I, can you read that again for yep. me please one more yep. time I will okay. yet if my line should die uh-huh. it dies with its teeth in the enemy's throat yes Yeah. it dies with its name on the enemy's tongue which yep. is awesome for just as mere life is not victory which is really cool mere death is not defeat yep. and in the next world I shall kill the foe a thousand times, laughing, undefeated. Okay. Okay, Grandpa Klingon. <laughs> okay. I think he wins on that one. He was yeah. in a good mood. Yeah, sure was. <laughs> I never heard him talk about laughing before. I know. It's the first time he's ever talked about laughing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I still think it's something. The holidays, the holidays will do that for you. you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And I do think it's something we tell ourselves, you know, around the holidays, like if this should end, you know, I'll still mm-hmm. win. I'll still be a winner somehow. Yeah, I'll I mean, still I be come a winner. Smelling like a rose. <clears throat> and I'll be the last one laughing yep. at the end. And the enemy will have my name in their throat. <laughs> sure. Or on their mouth, at least. My teeth on their throat. My teeth on their throat. Their, my name, my on, name their on their tongue. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, wow. I. You know, you got to be able to make it through the holidays somehow. <laughs> it's about survival. It is. And, 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 and morale. <laughs> and, and, and and when all is said and done, morale. Like, because sometimes that's what, you know, get, what that extra special ingredient that might just push you through to yeah. get decorations moxie. down before February. Maybe moxie. Is that, that's See? got some moxie. Yeah. 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 Well, you know, literally winning and not dying would be preferable. Well, sure. Yeah. I mean, yes, I agree. But if you died that way. But 
you know, it's dying not, that it's not pure defeat. Yeah. Dying that way though is though defeat. Like I mean, if you're a Klingon. <laughs> I mean it's just some let's some real talk here, Jeff. Let's stop being okay. polite. Start getting real. It's time. Uh, it's time. <laughs> Grandpa Klingon that is still losing. But if you get to beat the other person in the other life a thousand times laughing undefeated. Okay. That that's kind of like um I don't know when you when you're in an argument with somebody and you can't think of anything to say and then a week later you're like, "Oh, I should have said that." Do you ever call that person up and tell them that? No. No, oh. but I I relive it in Should the I not life. should I not do that? <laughs> oh, yeah. Maybe not. By the way, click. Yeah. <laughs> No, that's for you to relive in your afterlife of the fight. Uh, you know, like, oh, that would have been hilarious. You know, write it in your rage journal. This is what I was going to say. Today uh, I woke up angry. <laughs> yeah. Yesterday I let him sleep. <laughs> <laughs> that's Grandma Klingon's wisdom. <laughs> I like Grandma Klingon. Yeah. <laughs> She's not nearly I, as harsh as Grandpa Klingon. <laughs> no, and, and I'm going to tell you what, even in the, you know, in the fullness of the end of the holidays that I'm calling bullshit on Grandpa <laughs> Klingon right today. Okay. I'll tell him that. <laughs> hey, no, no, no. <laughs> no. Um, I mean, I don't you know. It was great. It, it's really... <laughs> what it's was that? Help. I'll persevere. <laughs> uh, well, I think with this, we are going to wrap it up. Yep. My five-year-old's tummy is rumbly. Yep. Lego City needs you, Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> well on this note i think we're gonna wrap it up yeah thanks for listening hope yeah. hopefully get you another episode next month without a lag and yeah then... yeah we apologize for the lag but we don't apologize sorry don't not sorry apologize. yeah yeah it's just thank you for keeping in with us yeah yeah and if you liked what you heard let us know yeah throw us a comment or a rating Yep, or join our email. Facebook group. Join our, join our Facebook group, which has some pretty amazing pictures yeah. getting posted to it on a regular basis. I, I don't know where them. all these come from. They are absolutely amazing. And they're, they're fun. I love them. And um, I'll, I'll post a link to Renee Files. Yeah. I mean, well, hell, you can find it. Um, but I, I encourage you, if you want to get a little misty, to uh, look at the thank you video that um, with this, the pictures of the signatures with buckets from the fans yeah. who donated to the cause. It's really quite sweet. Well, Jenny, thanks for that deep dive on Renee and for answering my um, Deep Space Nine, Deep Dive Nine investigator questions as the as the apologist on Deep Space Nine. <laughs> I'm happy to be the apologist for Deep Space Nine. I, uh, it's My love is Deep Space Niner than it ever has been. <laughs> <laughs> All, right. All right. Well, with that note, I think... Au revoir, as Renee would say. Au revoir, until we see you again. Tranquility Base here. The Eagle has landed.